Hello, and welcome to Sometimes Dead is Better. This is a rebroadcast of Chris and I's very first episode that we premiered on November 22nd, 2018. We are coming back from a bit of a long hiatus, so right now the plan is we're going to have new episodes every other week, and in between we're going to re-release our now classic episodes. In this first episode, Chris and I discussed where our love of horror came from, what scared us as children, and then we get deep into the 1989's Pet Cemetery, directed by Mary Lambert. We talk about everything from Church the Cat all the way to Chris's theory that Mary Lambert may be injected a sort of feminism undertone. Really hope you enjoy this episode. Just a note, this was our very first episode. Our sound does get better. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Sometimes Dead Podcast or on TikTok at Sometimes Dead D-E-D Pod. Thanks again. And remember, sometimes dead is better. Old lady, her bloody sod down so she could rest. She lit a cigarette and asked which podcast I like best. Well, my Hello, and welcome to Sometimes Dead is Better, a podcast with me, Kristen. And me, Chris. And this is our first episode. We are trying to figure it out. We're very excited. We are very excited. We have been friends for a very long time. Almost 20 years. Is that possible? No, no. 15 years. No. Really? Yeah. (laughs) Like 18 years. No. All right, let's move past this. Okay. We met at Barnes & Noble. The bookstore. Which is a magical place where I also met my husband and our other close friend and... Pretty much our entire circle of friends comes from Barnes & Noble. But so, so Chris and I have always had a shared love of horror movies. We actually were roommates for a little while and we realized that our favorite thing was pretty much sitting around drinking and watching mainly horror movies. I feel... Yeah, that's true. I remember we watched Schindler's List on one time. On St. Patrick's Day one time. Is that, that was true? fun. Uh-huh. Did we get it? Okay. Yeah. Everybody uh, else went out and we were like, nah, we're going to stay home and watch Schindler. <laughs> Which is a horror movie. That's true. Most of our films are horror movies. We sneak in the occasional, uh, you know, Michael Clayton every now and then, but we don't make it the whole way through. <laughs> okay. So we have been wanting to do this podcast for about a year or so. I think I remember we came out of a horror movie and I just, it clicked. And I said, no, I want to do this. Do you, you remember like, what that movie was? I think it was, remember the one, um, it had, um... Charlie from Girls in it, and they come at night. They come at night? Oh, yeah. It Is comes that what at it night. Yeah. Yes. Okay, yeah. We have a lot to say about that. That'd be a good one for the podcast. Yes. Um, and we decided that very day, for some reason, and I think it's coming back to me, that our very first movie... Well, it was, it was actually... It was more like... It was like a sitcom, almost. We were like, what's our first horror movie going to be? And we were just like, let's say it together. <laughs> and we were like finger guns like ready then we left in the air and yes and freeze frame yeah. exactly and it was a pet cemetery pet cemetery and i don't know why but that i think we know why i think pet cemetery was the one one of the first movies we watched as a horror movie together uh me you and a mutual friend of ours amy who may be a guest at some point mm-hmm. and we had uh just an epic night it was a, a blast it was uh i mean if you were, were could record that viewing session it would just go down <laughs> to infamy um, and I think both of us always remember that. And also, Pet Cemetery is from the 80s. It's 89. It's from our childhood. It's, um, it's 
you know, it sort of lives large in both our memories and it occupies a certain place in film history, horror history. So it was kind of perfect. You can't just start with like, you know, it comes at night. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so let's just start by introducing ourselves because we want people to feel welcome here and want to listen to us and watch these movies with us. So, uh, so my, my name's Kristen and I live in Atlanta. I have, I'm a stay at home mom with two kids I also have an Etsy site where I make like pop culture embroideries. Would you like to give your um, oh, Etsy site name? I, I guess. <laughs> it's Stitchin Kristen, C H R I S T I N. I don't suppose you have a Twitter account, do you? Oh, yeah, I got all of like 68 followers, man. At Kristen56. More I knew, I use Instagram more, which is. Stitching Kristen, yeah. I think. And do you sell these items? I do. <laughs> and I ship them right to you. Um, this is not what this podcast is about, but if you feel so inclined, it could be what it's about. <laughs> <laughs> and then I also am a, a stand-up comic in Atlanta. A very good one. Oh, thank you. Do you have an account for that, or is it the same account? It's just the same account. Oh, I think I wrote on there, like, I can't have more than one account because I don't have enough followers. But since so, and then so we're going to say, like, what our first scary movie was or what our how we got into horror yeah so i think and again this is chris i live in birmingham uh kristen is actually visiting me in uh birmingham or i guess helena alabama at my new home but it it should be uh, important to note that we're both in our 30s right Mm -hmm. i'm in my late 30s she's in her mid 30s um just being generous Um, but so we came of age during a certain time, you know, and that is the eighties, early nineties. And, uh, so for me, uh, you know, horror was like a huge thing. And I was thinking about this today and how to introduce this. And, you know, in in my mind, what is so cool about horror movies, especially being a kid in the eighties and nineties is that it was sort of this sort of forbidden thing. Like the idea of watching a horror movie, like it's not something you just passively watch, especially back then. It's, you know, it's something you sort of experienced and like kind of, I got through, like you overcame it and then you went talk to your friends about how you saw the horror movie yeah um, meaning that you sort of survived it mm-hmm. and then of course it was lame it didn't matter but most horror movies you know that you saw you wouldn't really talk about how lame they were you just saw that hey i saw you know friday 13 part 8 and how awesome it was and like and other people hadn't seen that just all they knew was a horror movie and it's like something you did like you went rock climbing right <laughs> versus if you just saw like you know raiders of lost ark yeah everyone saw that it was cool, but a but horror that, movie. Uh, the, no, that's probably a bad example because that scared me too. Okay, well, E. T. <laughs> okay. It, okay, it made, my know, sister was really scared of E. T. <laughs> <laughs> Are you gonna down all my examples? <laughs> so when I was a kid, there was a long time where I was not allowed to watch horror movies, and I was not interested in watching horror movies. And all I heard about was how terrifying they were, and like, why would you ever want to do that? And what looms large in my mind was specifically Pet Cemetery as being the scariest movie. That just ever existed. Hmm. So, I would go to the video store. Oh, the video store. Yes. Which, yes. Uh, should we talk about video stores, kids? <laughs> <laughs> All right, kids, gather around. We're Kristen gonna... <laughs> will explain video stores. <laughs> it was like walking into Netflix. Like, if you could step into your TV, is that what it was like? Yeah. And you could walk around and see it. But you're always lost. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing about the horror movie section is that you could see... The front cover. Yeah, and of you can movie, read about it. And you yeah. can pick it up. And and I always wanted to rent Chopping Mall, which I was never allowed to rent, of course. Do you remember the cover of that? Are you saying Chopping with a C? Yeah. Like, oh, no. I don't know that one. So the cover was like a brown paper bag with like blood dripping out of it. 
and like body parts in it. <laughs> Sounds amazing. And I never got to see it. We have to. We all have to watch it. Okay. Chopping Molly. I always wanted to watch. Of course. Um, what's the one with the with the monster in the toilet? What video store are you at? <laughs> <laughs> what is it? <laughs> Oh no, what did I walk into? You know, you know what I'm talking about. The monster in the toilet. <laughs> yes, the yeah, monster. Of course, yeah. <laughs> no, that's not a thing. The monster coming out of the toilet. What was it? I have no, honestly, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I have a memory, of like, uh, in Alabaster, where I grew up, we had a, we, didn't, we had a video stores and we also had drug stores. So I used to always go to the drug store, which had a video rental spinner thing right which i mean i'm blowing young kids minds right now and on the video spinner they always had specifically one horror movie and it was friday the 13th part five Mm. but i was too young to know what roman Roman numerals were so i remember asking an adult i would pick up the the card and just hold up the nearest adult like a random stranger say what is this (laughs) what number is this and someone told me that's friday the 13th part five and i said what does that mean And I looked on the back, and the back cover of Friday the 13th Part 5, and I remember this, is just Jason with a machete swinging to someone's neck. That's on the back cover? Yeah, it's just a machete through someone's neck. And I was terrified, and I didn't understand how that was like a film. So that's kind of like my earliest introduction to horror movies, which is... <laughs> Who did you grab? I, literally, like a... Like a pharmacist? Like you're no, grabbing his coat? No, it was a customer. It was a customer. Yeah, <laughs> I remember, yeah. Uh, just, I just want to know... Like, you know, you ask, like, you know, parents, like, what... What like what does that sign say? My, oh, mine right. was what is Friday Thirteenth. What does the pet cemetery sign say? Right, is right, that... exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, so for the longest time, I didn't watch horror movies because of things like that. Just being aware of them, knowing they were like scary, knowing adults didn't like them, but and knowing other kids that had seen pet cemetery specifically said they were so terrifying you can't even deal with it. Right. Well, that's, um, that's how I was too. I was very scared of them. I was scared of a lot of things. I was especially scared of the scary stories to tell in the dark books. I remember that very specifically. My mom had to write scriptures out and put them on my bedroom wall because I was so scared at night. Wait, what? <laughs> she would write out Bible scriptures and put them on my wall because I was scared at night all the time. What would the Bible scriptures say? I don't remember. Because <laughs> Bible scriptures can be scary into the. Well, they were the good ones. They weren't like the revelations. <laughs> Yes, I told her I was terrified, so she wrote out <laughs> revelations about how I was going to fall. Seal. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, so I had um, two really big... These aren't scary movies, but this is real fear that I felt. And one of them was going back to Indiana Jones. It was Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Yes. And I could not watch the part when they pulled the guy's heart out. Oh, you couldn't watch that part as a young child? I liked the other parts. I liked whenever they like had like the... The brain soup and the eyeball soup. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That was fine. Yeah. What, what, well, what was the scariest part in that? I mean, I'm making fun of you. The scariest part is absolutely the oh, ripping oh, okay. the person's okay. heart out. Yeah. Yes. And, and that, But that's another interesting thing is like, you know, I would avoid horror movies, title horror movies, but so much of what 80s movies were in general usually were just kind of horrific. Indiana Jones and Temple Doom is much scarier than your average horror movie today. You yeah. Know? Well, I remember like, so you know, you know that new movie, The House with the Clock and Yeah. That's directed by Eli Roth. Did you know that? I did, yeah. Probably you, you told me, but... <laughs> oh, and I told you that Steven Spielberg was, like, telling him to make it really scary. I didn't know that. I didn't know that oh, so Steven Spielberg was, like, apparently telling him to make it really scary because kids should be scared. They're not scared anymore. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Most of the kids' movies, you know, like, E.T., like you said, is scary. I mean, most movies are scary, but there's a difference between the idea of a horror movie, but there's a certain irony to it because most movies, anyway, are kind of scary. Well, then the second one that was the worst was Pee Wee Herman's Greatest Adventure. Why? 
What's the scariest part in that movie? The Martha? What's her Large name? Mark. Large Mark. <laughs> Why was that scary? It was the scariest thing in the whole world. So this is what would happen. Every time it would come on, I would find an excuse to leave the room during that part. But my brother caught on. And so one time when I left the room to go sit on the stairs until it was over, he said, it's over. And I came back and he had paused it on the screen of just her face. We should probably explain what Large Marge is. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I know in my subconscious just saying that, that Large Marge was scary, but I don't remember why it was scary. Okay, so she's like telling this scary story at night. She's In a truck. In a truck. Right. She's driving Pee Wee and she turns to him and tells him a story and then her face like explodes. Like if you look at it now, it looks like claymation. Right, right, right. Okay. I remember it kind of like a Beetlejuice thing. Yes. Okay. I will say now that I think about it, and this reminds me that the first horror movie I probably ever saw was actually Michael Jackson's Thriller. Oh, that's a good, yeah, that's, that's scary. When, I couldn't watch that. When well, I was... yeah. When I remember I was four years old and I was in my, we had an apartment in Birmingham and my sister, who was much older than me, she was a teenager at the time. Um, so 15 or 16. She was watching MTV, like, all the live long day. Mm-hmm. And Thriller would come on. And I remember at least knowing who Michael Jackson was and kind of liking that. But that video obviously scared the absolute living shit out of me. And so what I would do was I would run to my bedroom and I would tell my sister to turn on the vacuum so I wouldn't hear it, the video. Not turn on the TV. <laughs> turn on the vacuum so I wouldn't hear the TV. So she would actually do that, which I thought was kind of quite kind. That is nice. Yeah, but the video was, like, 15 minutes long. Mm-hmm. So she would do the same thing. She'd say, hey, come back back. And then I come back and there's, like, zombies dancing. <laughs> So, but that, that was probably the first horror movie I'd ever seen. Um, yeah. But I think we should acknowledge before that, the first real horror movie uh, was The Wizard of Oz. Oh, yeah. Which I saw around the same time as Thriller. It was in my baby's house in that mm-hmm. same apartment complex. Uh, I remember saying, what the fuck is this? And my parents whisked me out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, that, that, that's, uh, but that's another example of you know a movie that is shown to kids that's not ostensibly a horror movie, but is in fact a horror movie. Yeah. But anyway, this podcast is about quote-unquote horror movies, not, you know, kids' movies disguised as horror movies. So that's kind of what we're going to limit ourselves to. Yeah, well, and then also I liked the the aspect of, like, I love horror movies, but I also love true crime. What we're going to kind of do is, instead of just, like, talking about a horror movie, we're going to try and make it a little more interesting. And then so I'm going to try to tie a true crime. And it can be, like, so it's not going to be, like, exactly, it may be Amityville Horror, and then we talk about the Amityville Horror, the actual murder. But that, but maybe it's going to be a little more like like with this this first one we decided. The one I chose is not a direct influence on the movie, but it's something that I think about that I think somehow ties into it. Because there's so many crazy things that happen in real life. Sometimes true is better. <laughs> What's that? Where's that from? Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> the title of our fucking podcast. Huh? <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. So, but but we're just starting with talking about you know us where the horror came from. So that's why we're starting by talking about movies that we watched when we were kids. There's always this idea of what other kids are talking about. It's scary. And there's three things. There's Friday the 13th, there's Nightmare on Elm Street, and for some reason Pet Cemetery. Right. <laughs> Those are like the three big things. And we can get into that later. And I think the first two things are simply because there's like 10 of those movies at the time. And so I was always scared to watch those. And then I finally watched those, and I found them not very scary. But I love them all, all the same. And, uh, and so Pet Cemetery is the whole other story. All right, welcome back. Um, we're about to get into the movie um, proper. But first of all, what are we drinking tonight? Oh, well, Chris, we are drinking a 2015 King. <laughs> do you get it? I do get it. Oh, okay. Uh, Malbec. 
Awesome. That's how you say it? I think so. Um, I don't know. From Mendoza, Argentina? Awesome region. You don't know, do you? I don't know. <laughs> no. We just fucking picked up about Publix earlier. We did. It just fits with our theme, right? Publix. <laughs> <laughs> so, Pub- I have, you know what's weird? I bet a lot of people listening to this don't know what Publix is. I was just thinking that. Publix is a supermarket in the southeast region of America. So, Pet Cemetery, <laughs> uh, 1989, uh, directed by Mary Lambert who is a female. That's right. Did you know that? I did. <laughs> as far as I know, this is pretty rare for 1989. And in fact, it's rare today, I would imagine. We know it's rare because there's actually controversy like today about it on Twitter mm-hmm. with a movie producer. If you listen to this podcast, you probably know Jason Bloom. Blum. Blum. Apparently, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Well, I can't pronounce his name. Oh. Um, you know, but he is a huge producer. He does all these real efficient. Uh, they're kind of low budget movies, but they all make you know millions and millions of dollars. Blum, th- Blumhouse. Blumhouse Productions. Yes. I think he's doing the newest like Shyamalan movies, like for instance. Well, he's doing Halloween. He did Halloween. Mm-hmm. Okay, I didn't know that. Well, anyway, he usually spends like $5 million and makes $300 million on these movies. So he's kind of like, um, he's respected in Hollywood and he's uh, in charge of pretty much the entire horror renaissance these days. Anyway, he said something fairly insensitive this week about there being no female horror directors or none to choose from or none to, I'm not really sure. And it caused quite an outcry, I suppose. (laughs) We noticed it. Um, But it kind of brings to mind, yes, I mean, this is a thing. Uh, Females, uh, women, as they're called. Uh, are not uh, these days doing horror movies or really directing many, many movies at all, I suppose. Well, they're not given the opportunity. Given the opportunity, yes. Right. It's not like they're just, you know, avoiding them. Yes. <laughs> right. Um, but, you know, 1989, Mary Lambert, you know, kudos. Uh, I don't know if she's really doing anything today, but it seems like Jason Blum could have, you know, called her. Yeah, what's she doing? We Google her. She looks like, you know, she's about 50, maybe. Mm-hmm. She, she looks like she's active, rested. <laughs> but, you know, she has uh, quite a history. This is... I think her first or second movie. Before that, what did she do? Mostly really cool music videos. She worked primarily with Madonna. Which is awesome. Janet Jackson. Awesome. The Go-Go's. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> a lot of females. Yes, a lot of females. It's female. Um, this sounds like scientific, like like calling someone a homosexual or something. <laughs> like, is that, it sounds bad. Women. Oh, female? Yeah. I don't oh. know. I think it's okay. It sounds weird when I say it. Yeah, so she's a video director, which, you know, back in the 80s, you kids, nowadays videos go straight to YouTube, and I guess people watch them, I don't know, but they used to be a big deal on MTV, as they called it, music television. That's the same way, like, David Fincher got started. Mm-hmm. Who else? Michelle Gondry. Michelle Gondry, much later. Um, so, you know, that's that's a, a good starting point, I guess. We it's, don't... it's just a, yeah, it's just a strange It's a little strange, shift. yeah, a little strange. The horror begins. What was that? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, it's Gage. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't know what that was. Well, it's coming from inside the house. <laughs> so. All right. But so we, but we don't know why she was chosen, right? No, we don't. I guess I, it's, 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 yeah. it's really great that she was. And yeah. I wish it would have been something that back in 1989 was a catalyst for this. But instead, it's 2018. And we're still talking about why there aren't women being chosen to direct horror movies. Right. We, we yeah. retweeted a AV Club article listing a bunch of great female horror movie directors who Jason Bloom should maybe. Yeah, and they did not. Blum. Select her, strangely enough. Thought she did a great job with this movie. I think she injected a little bit of feminist energy into the movie. Yeah, most people don't cite Pet Cemetery as a feminist text. But we will get into yeah, it. Yeah, we'll get into it. So, and the screenplay was written by Stephen King. It was. Adapted from his own novel. Yes. 
Did he write any other of his movies, do you know? I know it's rare for him to write a screenplay, being a huge fan. I think he's written a few. Well, some of his, I don't know if you count his miniseries as movies, but like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So he did like The Stand. So uh, I'm not sure what else he's written. You know, it's it's definitely a rarity they did that. I'm curious why he chose this of all of his books to adapt, because typically he doesn't really give a shit. <laughs> um, from what I understand, people buy his rights and he's kind of go where you will with it. Well, so you're a huge Stephen King fan. Yes. What was your first Stephen King introduction? Uh, the first Stephen King book I read was in uh, seventh grade, maybe eighth grade. And it was not one of his, I guess, normal novels. It was called The Eyes of the Dragon, which if you're a Stephen King fan, you know, is like a book he wrote for his daughter. It's very sweet. Oh. I mean, it's a horror novel, <laughs> but it's, you know, written where like a young person can read it. There's not like cursing. There's strangely enough, some sex. <laughs> really? Um, yeah. And then there's like, you know, people get their heads cut up and stuff. You know, so I, I guess today it'd probably marked it as a young adult novel, you know, hmm. sort of Harry Potter vein. Really liked it. It was kind of scary, but not too much. I think it even came from the school scholastic readers. Mm-hmm. Do you remember those? Oh, yes. Yeah, those are awesome. Elise so, still gets those. Yes, you really. Yes. Um, who's Elise? <laughs> <laughs> Elise is my daughter. Awesome. She still brings them home, the, their paper, and she circles what she wants. It's really great. Do they still do, do the weekly reader? Do you remember the weekly reader? Yes, I do. They No, they don't do that. Okay. Well, it used to always they be... They have to save some paper, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Pet Cemetery was not in the Scholastic <laughs> Reader, but I believe I went to my local library and just got Pet Cemetery next. Really liking it. Kind of recognizing it was my first adult book. I mean, that sounds dirty, but like, you know, not a non-kids book. Yeah. Uh, probably not understanding half of it because it's a lot about sex, adult relationships. What sex is? And, well, I don't think there's any sex in the movie. I mean, right. there's not. I mean, no. <laughs> well, in the book, they have a pretty fully fleshed relationship. And in the book, there's actually chapters written from Rachel's point of view. Oh, that's so um, interesting. At least the last half of the book because yeah. he's gone crazy. That's one I still haven't read. So I took your copy. Okay, good. I wonder how many kids read Stephen King like I did. And that was probably the first time they were like, exposed to sex yeah. <laughs> in any real way. So great. <laughs> so anyway, that was all kind of wrapped up in a very adult book. But one thing I did notice about it and, and having heard that it was the scariest movie just of all time is that the book is fairly you know slow. People are not being killed. There's no one being stabbed. Right. When I thought about horror novels, I just imagined like some sort of novelization of like Friday the 13th or something where like every page someone's getting you know their throat slit or something I guess this is what I thought horror was slasher movies right. and this was not that it's an you know, it's adult novel there's no major violence that happens probably until you know the last hundred pages or so mm-hmm. and then it's all just you know craziness but then I read his other books which are much more fast paced mm-hmm. and uh, you know The Shining I think was the one I read for that and then it was just that's in that was insane. That so. one still scares me. That's the one, remember, in Friends, Joey has to put in the freezer because it's so yes, scary. Yes, yes. And Pet Cemetery, I will say, I read later as an adult in my 20s. It was scarier then because I understood more of it. Yeah. It's all about death, mortality, all these adult choices with dead <laughs> kids. You know. <laughs> so now we're going to start with the opening scene, and it is a... All-time classic. <laughs> no, what's the opening scene? It's a cemetery, a pet cemetery. It's a pet cemetery. We see it right away. Okay, so pet cemetery is a sign. Mm-hmm. Is that how they introduce the movie like instead of having a title do they have a title that's what i'm asking i don't remember we don't well there's no way we'll ever find out we'll never know (laughs) okay but anyway we see it pet cemetery it is the scariest goddamn cemetery ever (laughs) but it's apparently made by kids for pets yes in the woods have you ever seen a pet cemetery well we had a pet cemetery in our backyard where in mississippi we went through a lot of animals (laughs) like i guess i don't know if it was just those trucks (laughs) are Yes, all of our hamsters and our gerbils and our rabbits just kept getting out in the road. It was a, it was just a disaster. But we did have we did have a lot of those type animals, maybe a cat. We had a little graveyard back there for them. What did it look like? Little um signs made from popsicle sticks and stuff. Oh. 
we had to be careful that our dog didn't go and dig them up. Right. That would have been traumatic. Did you ever bury anybody there? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to knock over all these beer <laughs> bottles. Of course, I never buried anybody there. Well, I've never seen a pet cemetery. I've seen a single pet grave, and it was my friend where he buried his cat. But it was in the woods, and it was super creepy. I didn't know pet cemeteries were a thing. I still kind of doubt your story. <laughs> Um, but I mean, a communal pet cemetery? No. That's crazy. It's clearly crazy. Ours was just pets that we ran through. I mean, how did they even get started? Come on over. You know, like, we just like get it to your neighbors. Like, we got one cat back here. Right. Do you have any dead animals? Did it bring out your dead? <laughs> right. Yeah, it doesn't seem uh, like a thing, but sure. Oh, and you know, honestly, I, I guess we could talk about this a little bit. I read the introduction to Pet Cemetery, where Stephen King talks about the inspirations behind the book. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. There is so much more truth to the book, or at least, you know, obviously the non-supernatural parts, than you would think. Stephen King, when he was in his early, I don't know, 30s, was teaching at the University of Maine. This is He, he had written Carrie, but that was about it. And so he's doing some sort of guest teachership thing. <laughs> a writer in residence is what it's called. Okay. So they rented a house, he and his wife and his three young kids, who just imagine they look like the kids in Pet Cemetery. Mm-hmm. And they rented houses on a busy highway, and across the highway was not a house, but it was a gas station. In that gas station lived an old, kindly man who would make comments like, you know, don't let your pets run to the road, that'll, they'll eat you up. There's a goddamn Pet Cemetery behind his house. No way. Yes, a real one. So as I sit here and talk about it not being a thing, apparently they had one behind his house. They explored it. It looked kind of like the one, well, it, probably not, but it had the same cute slogans and oh. writings on the crosses and whatnot. The Smokey, he was an obedient cat. That was his cat. He had a young girl. Her cat got run over by a truck. They went and buried it there. She had this whole um, hysterical fit about, God can't have my cat. I want my cat, which is in the movie and the book. And then there was one scene. At one point, he, his young boy was running out. They were flying a fucking, they were flying a kite. Are you serious? Yes. They're having a picnic. And the kid kind of ran towards the road. And there was a truck coming. And But Stephen King, like, tackled him. He didn't get anywhere near the road. But it was enough for the, the wheels to start turning. Sure. So he started. So that's what I would think. Hmm, what if my kid did get hit? Right. And I buried him in a pet yes. cemetery. <laughs> So he started writing Pet Cemetery based on all that, and he actually wrote it in the gas station across the street because he didn't have, like, an office in the house. So I'm just imagining, like, a 1982 or whatever, customers shopping for their Sprites and Cokes, and Stephen King's, like, typing away in the back. <laughs> and, you know, they're like, what's that guy doing? And like, oh, he's writing Pet Cemetery. Leave him alone. And Don't mind him. Right. And so then we get to the next big scene, which is the Creeds pulling up to their new farmhouse. Lewis is the new small-town doctor. At the college. At the college, yes. yes. Rachel, who is the wife, has not seen this house. Yeah, he's taken into the house uh, sight unseen. You know, a very ominous moment early on is when she gets out of the car and the music absolutely swells. It's the biggest musical cue in the whole movie, and it seems to be all predicated on whether she's going <laughs> to like the house right. or not. But she does. She loves it. Uh, the music swells again. And she smiles real big. Yeah, so, I mean... Everything's good. Yeah, and, you know, and it's odd that the director made that choice to make that the most suspenseful scene in the movie. <laughs> Well, so then we see little Ellie Creed. Ellie, yes. And she runs to the tire swing. And we first see the path. Yes, the path. And little Ellie yells something about Mommy, Daddy, what's that? Yeah, whatever. And she falls out like a goddamn tire. Right. Then also we see little Gage, Gage who is yeah. their baby. They're getting him out. Gage, we should say, is um, the cutest baby that's ever oh existed. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So cute. They probably should have picked a really ugly, unlikable baby, given what happens. Yeah. But no, they he right in the juggler. Yes. Not that ugly babies shouldn't be loved. I mean, not as much. Let's, you know. (laughs) Okay. 
they immediately notice these huge trucks going down the road, right? Well, yeah. I mean, they're uh, whizzing by. And they leave little Gage. Yeah, he's just kind of sitting there. Well, I guess they let him out and let him wander around a little bit. And he um, keeps going right towards the road. He gets too close, but then he's whisked up by who? Judd Crandall. Am I saying that right? I think so. Yeah. Herman Monster himself, played by Fred Gwynn, picks him up, uh, says some unintelligible garbage, <laughs> you know, in his main accent. The family's very relieved, and so they bond, and I guess that's kind of you know, why they click. You know, it doesn't the relationship doesn't really make sense other than he's their neighbor. Yeah, it does but seem it, to move very quickly. It's pretty forced. I believe in the book it makes a lot more sense. There's a lot more drama. Someone asks again, where's that path go? Yeah, no, yeah. Rachel says, hey, stranger, do you know where that path goes? And then he's, there's a very ominous... He's a little coy. I'll tell you later. Yeah. I think the audience, uh, having seen the title of the movie, can probably guess what's down there. <laughs> right. We, we saw the opening credits. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, we already saw that. Do we see the path leading to it, though? I don't think so. So, yeah, it could be... <laughs> it could be anywhere. <laughs> it could be a mystery, yeah. It could be a jungle uh, gym. <laughs> That's an odd question, too. Like, where's that path go? Yeah. Not, I mean, wh- I would assume that just a path you go walk on in the woods. Yeah. But yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's just that's a good, me. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. Where does that path go? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you have like a walking path around your yeah. your new house. I just walk around my neighbors. Where does that path where- go? <laughs> 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 uh, they don't tell me, though. Well, so they then say they'll cuts, tell me later. So then it cuts to that night. Or they're all getting tucked in. We see Church, the cat. Yes, Church is short for uh, Winston Churchill. And um, she, he, excuse me, it's very rude of me. <laughs> they cut from a scene of the cat fucking tucked in with a little girl. Cats don't do that. They don't get tucked in. They Mine sleep, doesn't, yeah. They sleep on your head. They sleep on your feet. They scratch at your door to get in and out. But anyway, we that we, clo- we still all go from that scene to Rachel closing the door to the next scene is Lewis outside in the dark, looking down on the path again. And then all of a sudden, Church jumps out of the tree. Yeah, I think it's it's uh, what they call a goof. Or is there always already something wrong with that cat, maybe? It could be, it could be. He, he does that a lot. Yeah. He, you he, notice that? He likes to jump out. Yeah, they like the old cat jumping out from things trope yeah. in this movie. Could it be the window is open, too? Well, and then so Lewis sees Judd Crandall across the yeah. way. And he goes over... Would you? I would never would go meet a new neighbor like that. Yeah, that that gave me some anxiety. I just moved into a, a new home. Uh, I've met zero of my neighbors. Yes. Well, no, I met one. She moved in the other day. She's uh, a retiree. I love her already. We're gonna be best friends. But right. generally, no. They, I, I, you know, I'm sweating right now just thinking about yes, it. Yes, me too. Like yeah, and I. This is a flaw in my character. I'm not saying like no. Yes. Okay. Yes. Kind of bad. Neither <laughs> one of us would do that. <laughs> He did save the kid's life, so I yeah, guess it kind of yeah. makes sense. Yeah. He offered uh, Mr. Monster. I'm just going to call him Mr. Monster because yes. I can't remember his name. Offers him a beer. Instantly sort of emasculates him by uh, suggesting he may want a glass. Right. Um, Lewis correctly guesses that he's not supposed to have a glass right. ever. <laughs> and uh, I believe uh, Mr. Monster, you know, does his main thing and says something like, you know, good boy or something. Yeah, it was very odd. Uh, it's like, well, know, I... No homo. <laughs> <laughs> a glass is nice, right? Yeah, I mean, glasses, I mean, I guess they were drinking, like, Bud Light or something, so it really doesn't matter. I mean, it does make the beer taste better. Fuck you, Mr. Monster. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so the next scene is we get to our favorite part. Who do we get to meet? Oh, God. We meet Missy. Missy the maid. Sweet, sweet Missy. She's the best suicidal comic relief there is. <laughs> Spoiler. Oh, sorry. <laughs> well, she, she, yeah, she's suicidal. She may not carry through. What do we have to say about Missy? She is very odd. Who is Missy? 
We haven't really explained it. The maid? <laughs> yeah, she's the maid. I don't believe she exists in the book. Again, I'm, I'm just going to keep saying I'm not going to talk about the book and then clearly talk about the book. But she seems to be invented for the screenplay. So Stephen King invented her. He wrote the thing. She's very main. Yes. She's yes. got that, that accent. Yeah. What does she sound like? <laughs> <laughs> My stomach pains me some. <laughs> right. She has a, a lot No of... one asked. Yeah. Well, I think she said, how are you? Oh, okay. <laughs> well, that, she did ask her yeah. then. Well, so Rachel is at, she's leaving and she's right. saying, how are you? And she... Yeah. She asked she, if she could work on Monday. It's very rude. Like, yeah. just do your own laundry. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's unclear why they need uh, a maid. I don't know if Rachel works. Yeah, they don't. They don't say. Well, she, she seems does. Very professional. Yeah, yeah. She wears his power suits. She probably works. They don't say what she does. I bet she had a really good job in Chicago. Yes. She had to leave it. Yeah, yeah. She. And now can. she's at home. Yeah, she and she's a, not sure what to do. Yeah, she's a fierce haircut. I mean, yes. It's, yeah, she, yeah. But I, she, I bet that she's trying to like get her firm off the ground. Right. In Maine now. Yeah. Or she something. does have two small, small children though. So it could be that she's taking some time off. Not Rachel. Okay, right. And that's actually an interesting thing to me. The movie, at least, is a lot of the... There's a bit of a gender switch in a way because a lot of the parenting in the movie seems to be done, or at least focused on, by the you know, the dad. He's mm. the one that has to have all those, you know, parenting conversations. Rachel's kind of slightly hands-off as far as, like, you know, talking about death. That's true. <laughs> I guess that's, you know, maybe people just don't like to do that. And, and we'll talk more about that later. But yeah, so Missy kind of gives her a hard time about having a husband, husband and a husband that's a doctor, about how she has none of those, and I'll see you on Monday. Rachel just stops and just like, okay then. Yeah, I mean, there's literally a character that has blood gushing out of his head all the time. No one's as bothered by him as they're by Missy. Right. <laughs> uh, we love Missy, though, and I think we clapped every time she appeared on screen. Yeah. She is just a joy. The next part is we get to the actual pet cemetery. Judd takes them down that path. You know, as a treat. That's what it's about there, that pet cemetery. Lewis hasn't seen it yet. He doesn't know how goddamn creepy it is. He probably, he may think it's like your pet cemetery. You know, the fake one. Right. <laughs> so they get there, the pet cemetery, the kids... Rachel seem- seems upset about it. She doesn't like the idea of the kids learning about death. I think I'd be upset if that was like it the surprise. Like, I, yeah, I guess I would too. But Ellie seems like cool about it. She's like, hey, this one's a goldfish. You know, she's reading the little things. And I really don't like when Judd tries to mansplain to Rachel about how her kids need to learn about death. Like, True. mind your... How long have we known you? Yeah. I did not go share a beer with you. Do not tell me how to raise my kids. I don't know what you call it. There's a scene where Rachel kind of is visibly upset, and the husband and Mr. Monster just look at each other like women. Yes. <laughs> Again, they had one beer together. I'm team Rachel all the way. Me too. The pet cemetery in and of itself is what Judd says, a place of rest. That's all it is. There's nothing supernatural about the pet cemetery. Yeah, I was thinking about it too. It's weird that it's even called pet cemetery yeah. because nothing actually. The pet cemetery is fine. Like McMarrow Ground was not. It's as... a whole other thing, and I think people mistakenly say the pet cemetery is buried on Indian burial ground. That's not true at all. No. It's nowhere near the Indian burial ground. They have to go miles and miles to yeah. get to the Indian burial ground. Right. Okay. So then uh, the next morning, there's some tension between Rachel and Lewis. Because they're talking about death again, and they have to take church in to get fixed, and so she's trying to make him not shilly-shally, <laughs> right. which I've never heard that term before in my life. And I don't I'm, know if it's a Maine thing, a Stephen King thing. It can't be Maine. They're from Chicago. Right. So it's not a Chicago thing. So I don't know, but it's, it's Could it be wonderful. a Denise Crosby thing? <laughs> yes. That's what it is. 
Yeah, but so, so don't that, that's their show first him. sort of. It's a big fight. She's trying to make him promise Ellie that church will be okay. Yes, she, which is kind of odd because he's he's a doctor and he knows maybe it won't be. It's, it's as if they're introducing a theme of the movie early on mm-hmm. and following up with it later. So Mr. Uh, Lewis gets a little mad. I find Lewis really hot when he gets mad. Really? Yeah, he looks. This is kind of like when Anakin goes dark. Thing he's hot. Yeah. <laughs> might be it. Um, he's. He, I think he's hot. He's really good. Look, he looks so young. Did he's you know like, he played baby. Elvis? And yeah, when I was a kid, I googled this today. I was on fire on Google. Um, but when I was a kid, there's a miniseries called Elvis and Me. It was the first time I knew or heard of Elvis Presley, and that was him. That he was. He played Elvis. It was, wow. it was about him marrying you know, a fourteen year old. Does he sing like his own song? I don't remember. Know? I don't. I barely remember existing. That's such a great sound, isn't it? It is a great sound. Well, and then we also get another wonderful treat of Missy. Missy's back. She's coming to bring the laundry. Yeah. She tells him. It's unclear. Is this the Monday she's working? Is it Monday now? It must be Monday. (laughs) Yeah, it's Monday. She's bringing back the laundry. She's pissed. For some reason, like Mr. Lewis, I don't know why we're calling him Mr. Lewis, but. Mr. Creed. Mr. Creed Lewis. offers to look at her stomach pains. Yeah, well, first of all, she he asks if there's anything that pains her some. <laughs> and she says, you know, my stomach. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's a doctor and he asks, you know, to check her out. And he, she's like, absolutely not. So that's a little strange. I think we kind of learn later why, uh, you know, she does have cancer. Well, she writes in her suicide yeah, yeah. note later, right. I have cancer. <laughs> Which I'm not sure who she's telling because no right. one shows up at her goddamn funeral. But <laughs> Well, I mean. Oh, that's true. Who they, finds her? I don't know. Well, we'll get to Stephen that. Stephen King. <laughs> oh, no. So, Lewis is going to be the new doctor of, of the college, which yes. you said is a thing. Yeah. Yeah. I had a doctor. I don't... Yeah. Colleges have doctors. Think of what is a college doctor you're going to see, like STDs, hangovers. What's he going to do? Give you fluids? But no. Day one. What yeah. does he see? Instant fatality. Yes. <laughs> uh, just horrific accident. It's not... I mean, I, I'm still not really sure what happens, but I think well, over I here... Well, I was listening to it on the headphones... And I heard someone say a, a truck hit him. Okay, yeah, something hit him. Yeah. So they're keeping with that. They sure are keeping with that theme. Oh, you know, I never even thought about that. He probably got killed right outside their house. He was going to meet the new doctor. <laughs> so they bring him in. He's, yeah, it, I he, think he, you point out it doesn't look like he worked on him very well. No. But I think there's maybe a strange like edits where you know it, I'm not I, sure. But I also don't. They didn't pack. He didn't pack the wound. No, I mean, he's still I've, just I've oozing watched, blood. I've watched 15 years of Grey's Anatomy, yeah. and I think I could have done a better job than he did. Yeah, well, he was a goner. DOA, as they say. Um, All right. I guess that's true. Um, but then, so the, one of the creepiest parts happens. Victor kind of uh, wakes back up after he thinks he's dead. He spits blood on him, says some scary words. Yeah, he says, um, the soil of a man's heart is stonier, which, as far as scary words go, is pretty, you know, that's pretty abstract. <laughs> and then he dies. Yeah, he dies. He dies. All right, so let's get into this. You have a better take on this from reading the book. But so it seems to me that this didn't really bother him. He was just like, ah. Shucks, lost him. He doesn't seem to take it home with well, her. Well, I mean, anything. he has a nightmare that very night about him. That the, in the next scene, like he wakes, he has a nightmare, and like he walks walks him to the pet cemetery. So you know, in Hannibal, yes, in the first episode of Hannibal, Will Graham finds the serial killer, Garrett Jacob Hobbs. If you haven't seen Hannibal, that's what happens in the first episode. But I didn't spoil anything for you. Please go watch it. Will Graham killing Garrett Jacob Hobbs haunts him for the rest of the series. And he, Garrett Jacob Hobbs appears as a ghost all the way through, through season three. You, you really feel the weight of that on Will Graham. And so that is, I'm, I'm assuming, what we're supposed to be feeling for Lewis. Yeah, I, I, I get that. Yeah, it, it's not really clear that, you know, it looked just like a gory accident and then the next scene happens. But 
I, I imagine that, yeah, the idea is, I suppose, that he's very traumatized by it. Um, he feels like he should have saved him. I'm not sure any of this has ever said. I couldn't save you well, or there, something. There was there was some weird thing. Vic, the guy's name is Victor Pascal. Yes. We learn. We hear his name a lot. We see his file that he just chucks in the garbage. Yeah, he's dead now. Yep. <laughs> I don't think we'll need that for insurance yeah. liability. Sometimes dead is better. <laughs> Either way, I suppose the next scene, or maybe this very scene close to it, is Mr. Creed has a nightmare. <laughs> We're very formal with the Creeds, aren't we? we should, except Rachel. We call Rachel. But. Well, she's our best friend. Yeah, best friend. Has a, a nightmare. I guess it's a nightmare where um, Victor Pascal escorts him from his bed. He's wearing a scrubs, interestingly, uh, down the uh, path to the pet cemetery and gives him some sort of strange warning about what? Don't go there. Yeah, well, don't go past the deadfall. Yes, which he shouldn't have told him about anyway. Just, yeah, yeah. Just he, don't say anything. Should have warned Gage, don't go on the fucking road. Or told Judd, don't tell him about it. Yeah, but see, you know, uh, you know, there's no link Let's with Judd. Let's keep this between us. Right, right. Oh, yeah, I guess that's true. Judd doesn't know who he is. Judd probably sees dead people like, every night. Right. <laughs> he gives him the warning. He kind of, there's this weird thing where he floats up. I, I don't know. It seems unnecessary. Um, <laughs> we get it. He's a ghost. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Lewis uh, wakes up as Rachel's downstairs cooking eggs. Uh, I think she actually said, do you want some eggs? That's how I knew that. Uh, and then he uh, pulls across his, uh, he's like, yes, he pulls up his bedclothes and what does he see? Dirty feet. And it's kind of shocking. I mean, I'm always made fun of that scene, but every time I see it, I go, ugh. <laughs> All right, so then it's Thanksgiving all of a sudden. Yeah, and they, they, and they show the passage of time by literally showing the passage of time. The leaves changing color. Ellie is changing her Halloween decorations to other type of decorations. Really? Yeah, it's pretty cute. I didn't notice that. Yeah, I did. Oh, and Lewis gets a sweet deal. He gets to stay home. He's wearing a Make America Great hat. Something. Yeah, it's a red hat. It looks like a Make MAGA hat. It's well, annoying. Yes. There's some super awesome. unexplained bad blood between him and Mr. Father-in-law, I suppose. Mr. Father-in-law. Yeah. We're so formal. Yeah, we are. Well, you know, due respect. And so Rachel takes the kids. Yeah. They go to Chicago. Lewis gets to stay home. And then, like, as soon as they leave. Within minutes. <laughs> Judd calls and it's like, dead cat over here. <laughs> right. Dead cat over here. I think it's church. And so he goes over there and sure enough, there's church. Yeah, he's, uh, he's frozen to the leaves. He looks like he's been dead for several days. He's very upset, obviously. He says, this is going to crush my child. I'm not going to tell her. <laughs> I'm going to throw him in the garage for a few days. It's a lot of weird <laughs> shit. He doesn't know how to react. Um, and so Mr. Monster says, well, you know, I have a good idea. Um, you know, follow me and bring a shovel. <laughs> so they go Again, to... Again, doesn't tell him. No, he doesn't tell him. But what he's going to do? Although... They go past the pet cemetery. Yeah. Which where he was told. Well, they go to the pet cemetery and you think, well, they'll probably stop oh. there since it's a pet cemetery. Right. I mean, and that you know makes sense. That's probably where he thought where he thought it was going. Sure. And then he immediately ignores the advice he was just given by, by, a ghost. by Victor Pascal. And he he goes over that thing, the deadfall. You know, he goes, Don't go over the deadfall or whatever he says. He even falls down the deadfall. Yes. He falls down and he still goes. He comes yeah. back up. And it seems like maybe he kind of remembers the dream because there's all these spooky noises and he looks unsettled. Maybe mm-hmm. he just doesn't remember it. I don't really remember my dreams. <laughs> That's a fatal flaw in his plan, is like, you know, people don't remember their dreams. That's true. So anyway, they go over the deadfall and they walk and walk and walk and walk and walk. And there's and Mr. Munster, he is just spry. He really, he? Yeah, he is. He is. There's there's some pretty crazy noises in the woods there's something that sounds like a dinosaur oh right mm. sound like the lost smoke monster or something yeah. fred monster says it's just a loon right <laughs> <laughs> which i don't know what a loon is actually is that a bird Big, yeah okay i don't know i guess for all i know it could be a loon. i don't know what a loon sounds like that's true um so they keep walking and where do they go to the micmac indian burial grounds and it's a beautiful spot it's a beautiful spot it's very well designed with the stones and it's up on a mountain is it spooky 
It's beautiful. I don't think it's spooky. Do you think it's meant to be spooky? I feel like it's meant to be spooky. So we're in problematic territory here. We're in the what I think is you know a trope or it's not me i mean people have written it's about considered this an 80s an, an, an 80s movie trope or an 80s horror movie trope you know the indian barrel ground ibg mm-hmm. as it's called and what this trope is if you haven't figured it out is this idea of the the cursed indian barrel ground that pops up mostly movies and i suppose tv shows books whatever where there's some mysterious evil force or a curse or something that comes up and haunts usually the white family right for whatever reason people you know, cite Poltergeist as an example, although apparently it, that's not in Poltergeist. No, it's just it's just a regular burial ground. Right. So I'm not sure how that's a thing, but I thought there was any burial ground Poltergeist. So right. who knows? Like it's, the Shining? The Shining for sure. Although the movie, I mean, it's just kind of mentioned offhand. I mean, it's not really something you think about. There's a lot of... There's, Seriously, there's a lot more going on. There's a lot going on in The Shining. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, it's there for sure. Um, and maybe in the book, maybe it's mentioned more. I don't really remember. And then, you know, yeah, Pet Cemetery and uh, Amityville Horror for sure. Oh, yeah. yes. Uh, so it's, it's come up. So even back then, I think people maybe, they saw this and maybe they roll their eyes. Although... In the movie, it's just Indian Barrel Ground, and it's, and yeah, it, the idea, I think, is that the Indian Barrel Ground itself is not haunted because they're Indians. It's the Indians bury their dead on a haunted ground. Does that make sense? Right. Like, they I, were they, the, they said that, I think later they say that the Mi'kmaq Indians... They stopped using it. Yes. Yeah. Realize that... It's yeah, a, oh, everyone's coming back to life. <laughs> <laughs> Something's wrong. Let's move. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's not like they were cursed. It's like it just happened to be a cursed spot, and they were the first people to discover it because the first people to be bothered to bury people there. So that but makes it's sense. it's still a very easy thing to just kind of say, yeah. oh, it's, we don't understand Native Americans, so let's just do that. Yeah, it's interesting, definitely offensive, you know, trope that's kind of gone by the wayside, except now, I guess, it pops up in, a, like, satire and stuff. Like, people make fun of it more than they actually use it. Well, so that's what's going to be interesting about the new movie, right? What like they going to do? Yeah. How, what are they going to do? Although they could handle the exact same way, and I would argue it's not really offensive because the Indians themselves, they're just the mechanism for how it's discovered. They're not the people that cursed. I still think it's just think of something else. Think of something else. Yeah. Could be like you know, oh, a bunch of pilgrims die here. Right. <laughs> yeah. Blame it on ourselves. I would be offended about because I'm 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 a pilgrim. I'm the. You'd be offended. I'm the ancestor of a pilgrim. And you're very offended. I, I might be. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so that's that's the IBG trope in Pet Cemetery. As far as the larger trope, there's um, some really cool articles, and I've stole pretty much all of that from cool articles. I think there's one that's actually called Why Were Indian Battlegrounds Such a Big Thing in the 80s? Just Google it. This, this isn't my thinking, in other words. But so what happens, they they get to the Indian Battleground, the IBG. He starts, he, uh, you know, Mr. Monster hands him a shovel and says, you, you have to bury your own. Mm-hmm. Lewis is like, great. Great. So what does he do? He buries Church. They cut to that night. And one of the best lines in it, Judd says, now don't tell them what we did tonight. And Lewis says... What did we do tonight, Judd? What the fuck did we yeah. do, you crazy old man? Yeah. And, this uh, seemed like a long day. Like yes. My cat died, and then all this other shit happened. And then so the next day, Church does his favorite thing. He jumps Jump. out. Yeah. His name's Dale, right? The actor? Dale? Dale Midkiff. Yeah. Yes. He does a great, just like, whoa, <laughs> and falls down. And he's like, Church, you son he of a gun. raises his fist like the honeymooners. Yes. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't seem as surprised. I guess he kind of seems to write off a little bit. Like, oh, he wasn't really dead. Oh, I buried him alive. Right. There's that suggestion. And he clawed himself out. Yeah. 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 So, I could definitely see that. Yeah. I mean, what what else do you do? I mean, we finally learn some more information about the Micmac burial ground when Judd and Lewis sit down again and have a beer. Judd tells him the story of his own dog. 
right? Yeah, which looks like it takes place in the fake 1920s or something. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's you know, there's some it's kind of a sepia tone thing. Yeah. It's kind of cool. I like it. So he knows that when he buried his dog, he came back evil and he had to put him down again. But I, I guess maybe he thought maybe this time it'll work. Yeah. I mean, we think that at first, but there's this whole other story right. later. He's just holding that. Yeah, holding just, that card debt back. Yeah. <laughs> It's also very frustrating because he brings the kids to Pet cemetery and tells the mom they need to learn about death sometime. And then he just gambles with, like, let's see what happens when we bury this cat. But, you know, he also, there's this weird line, which I don't understand, right, even today. But he says, yeah, he came back evil. He was, you know, when I say evil, he just, he kind of looked like he just barked a lot and he looked terrible. Oh, yeah. Uh, And then he says, and then the second time he died peacefully, I buried him. Right. What is that about peacefully? Like, are are you suggesting that you put him down, or did he literally die like, years later peacefully? It's kind of. Oh yeah, I don't know. Because if he died years later peacefully, maybe he was fine. He just kind of smelled bad. I mean, church wasn't that bad. <laughs> no, church was fine. Like, because then I think brought him the, gifts. Well, yes, one of the next scenes is like he finally gets in a bath. which yeah. is a pretty hot scene. Right? Yeah, that's uh, you're, yeah. Okay. Like things are heating up. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and he gets into the bathtub. And church throws a dead rat in there, and he's like, just throws it. <laughs> He had a like a little bat, threw it over the air, <laughs> knocked it into the bathtub. But that's what cats do. I, yeah. I, I had a cat named Sunflower, was the best huntress ever. Huntress. Yes, <laughs> she would bring us birds, mice, squirrels, and she'd bring them to us because she loved us. And imagine you're like in a like a, a cow and like a bow and arrow behind her back. Yes. Lorena McKinnon playing. Yes. <laughs> Celtic music. And... So that's kind of odd. So all he does is kind of hiss a little bit. He's fine. He just smells bad. I don't know. I guess he does scratch him like all the goddamn time. I mean, in the face too. A lot of cats do that. It's pretty Cassie severe. does that. Yeah, she, does, she doesn't go from my face. She knows better yeah. than that. So oh. I hate to say this, Chris, but what do you think would happen if you buried Cassie in the <laughs> Mac Two things. She would come back super sweet. Yeah. Because, it's, I mean, I think maybe the opposite of how you are. I don't know. I mean, if I had to guess what the operating theory behind the Pet cemetery is or the Micmac Burial Ground or the Forest Pine Micmac Burial Ground, because, you know, IBG, mm-hmm. uh, it's that you come back just somehow soulless and empty mm-hmm. and operating on some sort of just basic instinct, usually, you know, wanting to kill, I guess. Is Church actually dead? Is he like a zombie cat? We Then Ellie comes back and says that. So I had this dream. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, so that's another thing that happens. Ellie starts having these dreams that are very vivid and it's like very specific yeah. like, I would be a lot more freaked out yeah she's really basically was. reading the Pet Cemetery screenplay Literally, as you're filming like, it oh silly little Ellie yeah. I would be like hmm you're gonna stay with your grandparents yeah yeah and I guess there's also this idea that maybe that Victor Pascal that rascal is showing her the visions because later she sees him yeah that's right so he's just trying all kinds of different things to get people to I don't know not do what they ultimately end up doing he's just trying to help yeah right. I'm not sure what he thinks Ellie's gonna do I mean she's five <laughs> but anyway how old do you think she is I mean no that's I mean eight so then we cut to poor Missy oh god the last last scene with poor Missy she I- at least explains more than anything about anybody else in the movie what her motivations are and what right. she's doing she writes I have cancer I hate this <laughs> right yeah. I'm, I'm out yeah. pains me some <laughs> And so that, that's a pretty um, scary scene, too. I mean, should we see her, like, get up on there, put the rope around, drop? That always freaks me out. Yeah. It's very main, very very Stephen King. And then, I, like, I like the way she just sort of no-nonsense goes about it, though. I think that's what this, what's the scary thing about it. Yeah. There's very little drama to it. She seems like, well, this is how my day ends. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, yeah, that is a lot. In a lot of movies, they do waver back and forth. I'm thinking about, like, John Locke on Lost. Yeah, he had, the, he had a lot of pomp and circumstance. What I thought was ironic was that poor Mr. Creed goes to all this trouble to bury Church, to keep Ellie from not having learned about death. 
And then she still has to go to a fucking funeral like the next day because the maid killed yeah, herself. Yeah, fucking Missy. Yeah. But it does actually cause Ellie to start asking questions about Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. It does cause a big conversation between her and Lewis. Like you said, she's the he's the one who seems to be trying to enlighten her on this sort of thing. And yeah, you know, not to be mean, but they, do they have to even tell her their maid died? Like, mostly. Do they need to go to the funeral? Yeah. Would you go to yeah. a maid's? I've never, I've never had a maid. But if I had a maid for like... If she just stopped showing up, I would just say, oh, she quit. Right. I guess it's a small town, you know. She probably hung herself in their basement for a while. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> no. Well, and then no one seems to go out of their way to bury poor Missy up there. No. I mean, wouldn't that be great? Like, yes! how would she come back? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> She'd have, like, an iron stomach. Her stomach yeah, it would be great. She'd be <laughs> great shape. Do you need me for Monday? <laughs> right. But, yeah, no one really takes Even though, by this point, Mr. Creed knows about the Pet cemetery and knows its properties. Or the Mi'kmaq Bear Grounds properties. Mm-hmm. But no, it, does, you know, it doesn't even occur to him. No, not even poor Missy. And this leads to Rachel opening up about arguably the scariest part to most people, I would think, is Zelda. When, when you see it like as like a kid, like that sticks with me, that stuck with me the most. It's definitely the most psychologically fucked up part of the whole ordeal. Rachel explains that Zelda was her sister who had spinal meningitis. Doesn't matter. We're not doctors. <laughs> But apparently it makes her... It looks horrible. <laughs> it looks pretty bad. So she's really, really thin to the point of emaciated. She can't feed herself. She can't do anything. Apparently she's lost her mind. How did uh, Lewis put it so eloquently? She's probably clinically insane at that point. <laughs> he's very manisplaining. Manisplaining. Yes. Yeah. And then he gives her... He's like, you're taking a Valium tonight. Yeah. And she's like, I don't take Valium. Throws it down her throat. And yeah, that, that did bother me too. That's why she, she... is afraid or you know has such a uh, problem with death because she feels guilt about being happy about when her sister dies. So yeah, it's a pretty it's pretty heavy for and I would argue that Lewis, at least from this point on, is the more sort of traditionally emotional character, which is interesting and kinda of goes into my hot take feminist critique I'll get into later. Okay. Sounds good. Which you may or may not agree with. Okay. I think you'll agree with it. Okay. Okay. So what happens next? So now we're halfway through the movie. What? Yes. Okay. Can you believe it? It's not a very long movie. No, it's not. Yeah. It's movies used to be shorter and more efficient. Yeah. And we get to the hardest part. So the family's out for a picnic. For some reason, Judd's there again. <laughs> <laughs> like, who invited him? He's probably across the street and saw them, and they can't just have a picnic and, like... I feel a lot about this scene, because it's my worst nightmare. The way it happens, it makes it more palatable, if that makes sense. Like, chances are that any children that have lost their lives to get hit by cars is probably more like the kids slipped out of the house they disappeared they ran out it's not dramatic like that like get them you know like running everyone's watching so it makes it more like a movie which is what it is but it's also a thing that does happen people lose their children all the time i I can't even think about that but it's but it's also clear the way it happens it's not their fault i mean they well they're not really negligence I what? mean, other than having a picnic besides the side of the road. Well, I think that's part of it, too. Like, <laughs> you don't just turn your back when you know the kid's walking towards the road. The way they film it is it's, it's very effective. Yeah, it's very heightened, you know, kind of yeah. stylized. I think another thing that makes it more palatable is, I, I hate to say this, I do, but if that little boy got hit by a semi-truck, there would be no boy left. <laughs> and I hate to say that, but but because they keep showing, like, him cradling his body he is that shows that there's still a body it makes it less realistic yes okay like i like i was telling you remember that scene in the rob zombie movie devil's reject yes yeah there's a pretty cool scene where a guy runs out get hit by semi truck and 
he just is just evaporates. Yeah. Okay. It just makes it not as hard to think of like he just got a bump on the head, and he did pass away, and it was very sad. But yeah, it's a, it's a tough scene. It's even it's tougher later actually, in, in flashback they don't really show as yes. much as you think they do in the actual death scene. It's very quick. Really. And then they show well, then they show the poor bloody shoe. Yeah, they show the shoe. They show him more later though. They show him actually in the road and you know kind of in flashback. Yeah. It's a. Uh, but before that, we get our first Ramones. Yes, we get our first Ramones song. A little bit of weird stylistic choices. You know, you get an outsider view because usually the focus is just on the main characters and that's right. it, really. So this is the first sort of outsider character other than, I suppose, Missy. Right. R.I.P. <laughs> yes, R.I.P. So the trucker that eventually, you know, runs over Port Gage is playing Ramones. He's having a great time. I guess he's just kind of trying to show he's not really paying attention, maybe, and, you know, but not he's not drunk or anything. Yeah, so. it's... And it's actually unclear, like, what happens to him, because the truck, you know, flips over. Yeah. Not really sure how that happened. I don't think he survived. Yeah. They went no funeral for him, I suppose. No. <laughs> they didn't bury him in Pet Cemetery. No. <laughs> no one wants that guy back. Yeah. He could be fine. I don't know. I kind of feel, I mean, if he lived, he probably feels terrible. Judd's probably should give him some space, right? Well, he knows what he started. Oh, he's hanging around to... Yeah. He's like, is he getting a shovel? Like, what's going on here? <laughs> you just keeping an eye on things? Yeah, just keep an eye so on things. So they do cut... Then you have a funeral. Yeah, they have a funeral. And there's a physical fight between Lewis and the, Mr. Yeah, Father-in-Law. Who blames Lewis for the kid's death. And I guess that is, it blames Lewis for everything, but especially but this. But a physical fight? Come on. And so it... it it's, it's badly staged. It's, it's, a, it's a bad scene. Let's be honest. It it's, doesn't it's, it's not... Good, like Laura Palmer's funeral. No, no, that that is what it reminds me of. Yes, and which I is got, a wonderful. Yeah, I did get excited. Yeah, um, that's a really tough scene too when the casket falls and you see his little. Hand. Yeah, that that one part is effective. The rest of it is like just sort of unbelievable and melodramatic. Yeah, and then after the funeral, Judd comes over again. And he's hanging out at the table, and yeah, then and, he decides, and "Mr. Hey, Cree's like this fucking guy." Hey, you weren't gonna. <laughs> Got the old cemetery, were you? I don't know where you got that idea, but <laughs> maybe don't do that. Then he tells them the story about how... Yeah, great timing, by the way. Right. Yeah. Maybe tell them that earlier. Well, you know, it didn't come up. And so then he tells the story, and we see flashbacks of a World War II vet. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's gone from the flapper 20s to the... <laughs> Uh, the World War II generation. So like, they bury him. He comes back as like a zombie type thing. Yeah, he comes back off. terribly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they end up having to burn him. The funny thing was, it, it, there's kind of a suggestion that he, they let him like kind of walk around for a while. Right. <laughs> <laughs> He's kind of walk around the town because like they say like finally, there's a local townswoman who's like beating your laundry, you know, as you do. And he comes up and like, you know, growls and hisses. And, <laughs> and she's like, what are we doing? Like, we got... <laughs> Like we're trying, we're trying here. Yeah. We, try, we invited him to the dance, right. just not working out. Right. He's still in his shitty clothes, in his funeral clothes. <laughs> so they burn that guy alive. Yeah. And that guy kills his own dad, right. who's trying to save him. It's kind of a sad scene, but it gives Mr. Monster, you know, the knowledge to tell Lewis, like, look, you don't need to be doing this. He's going to come back much worse. I think this is where he says, sometimes that is better. Yes. He says in his great main accent. Can you do it? I don't. I can't do it. I think you can do it. I just sound like Dolly Parton. You sound like Missy's. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes dead is better. See, I just sound like. Sometimes dead is better. That's good. That's good? Okay. Yeah, I sound like in like Steel Magnolias and they're like, <laughs> she looks like two pigs wrestling under a blanket. So then they all head up to Chicago. Yeah, they're all just leaving. Lewis stays again. Why are they going to Chicago? Is just... it Christmas? <laughs> I think they're just going to get away. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, that makes sense, I suppose. Yeah, so they go away. Lewis stays back again. 
the kid at least seems to know something's up. She's like crying and says well, just another dream. Well, and I like that scene too with Rachel again. Has as as you're saying, like she's she's tough. Like she's listening to Ellie. She's not just like you're crazy. Go back to yeah, bed. She's, she's also like, loaded on Valium. <laughs> that's true. But she's like something's up here. Something's not right. I gotta get back. Yeah, so she's she, like, not just a blithering mess like he is. So yeah. then she just decides that she's just going to fucking planes, trains, automobiles it back home, right? <laughs> right. That's a good way to put it, yeah. She's just trying to get back it's home. It's a comedy of errors, her getting back to Maine, I, I guess. I think she ends up getting in a van with a polka van. <laughs> right. Is that what happens? Or, or am I mixing up? That might be Home Alone. <laughs> oh, right. Polka, polka. Sorry. <laughs> that, but, I mean, you say that. That whole sequence is weirdly the most comedic sequence in, in the... <laughs> Ghost, like, yeah, the funny her. ghost is like I try to help her with all those one-liners that she can't fucking hear. So <laughs> we're supposed to, to suppose that there's this ghost that's just making these witty bon mots to himself. And but then another tough scene is Lewis just sneak in and dig up Gage and he's yes, holding him. This is a very effective scene, yeah. But so we already know, all right, he's doing it. What's going to happen? Rachel's trying to get home. Judd fell asleep in his chair he's not really helping <laughs> yeah lewis goes to the micmac barrel ground and they show weird ghost face that comes yeah, out of the ground it's and... judd's though right is it judd's i wasn't sure whose face it was i thought it was judd but i, I thought don't maybe know, it was yeah, his own is... face like kind of luke skywalker thing where he fights Darth vader in his own face yeah. interesting you know horror is kind of even deeper this time maybe because he's bearing a person so he definitely bears him and then you know he goes back to bed he falls on the bed and he's passed out right. Pretty immediately, we see the rocks moving. We know Gage. Yeah, um, takes no time. Yeah, Gage just books at home, doesn't he? Yeah, he. he yeah, he, he's only two and a half or so, but he, he knows. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. He's pretty little. He's wearing diapers, and he knows how to get back home. We see little his little shadow, his little footprint. It's really cute. <laughs> he is. He's so happy. Yeah, and he goes and goes into his dad's like seventeenth century doctor bag that <laughs> right. he keeps and opens the jewelry box. And takes out the scalpel. His special scalpel that yes. he keeps in his Edward Gorey way. Right. <laughs> it's strange. Yeah. But then for some reason, he just doesn't kill his dad right away. No, because I, I think the idea is he wants to play. He wants yeah. to play. He wants yeah. to go play with Mr. Judd. So that's all pretty spooky and scary. And from this you know point on, I guess really from the funeral, it's all pretty scary stuff. Yeah. With the exception of the comic relief ghost, right. which just doesn't work for the reasons we talked about. We don't know why he's there. I think it would have been much more effective if we just saw that Rachel was a really strong character. She was just trying to get home. She didn't need help. Yeah. You know? She knew what she was doing. She's trying to get home. She knew something wasn't yeah, right. Just kind of, I think my husband's gone crazy. I need to deal with this. That type right. of thing. I guess there's no way she really knows that but for him telling her that. I don't know. But yeah, either way, it doesn't really work. It's kind of fun but it's like the rest of the material is so dark and heavy that it's it kind of maybe maybe that's the point. Maybe it's supposed to lighten the mood a little bit. With a dead kid coming back from the you know, grave. Yeah, and all that. maybe. They need something. Yeah. So, again, as we said, he goes over to play with Judd. Yeah, and that, that, that's pretty creepy. Yeah, we this is giggling. And... Yeah, and I think this is one of the scariest scenes in the movie. Yes. If not the well, 80s. It's, it's a great kill. <laughs> yeah, it's a good kill. Yeah, yes. it's like, uh, you know, points. So, <laughs> what happens? You know, Judd awakes from his beer coma. <laughs> uh, he hears Gage laughing. It's a pretty creepy laugh. He goes inside. I think he pulls out like a switchblade. Yes, he does. Well, there, there, we see a ball bouncing because yeah. Gage just wants to play, which again makes me happy that at least he came back happy. He's yeah, having a great time. He's having a blast. Judd, having dealt with you know the World War II guy, knows well, he's probably not. This guy's going to be evil. So he pulls out a switchblade. Right. He's ready. And he's on ball. He's yeah. like, okay, there's a, you know, he's pretty quickly identifies three things. There's a goddamn kid zombie in my house. Right. 
He's not going to want to, he's going to kill me and I need to deal with it. There's no like mystery about it. He's in his bedroom sneaking around and you know what happens. Well, first he gets that slice of the Achilles. And it's terrible. Which still is just, it's hard to watch. Yeah. And then Gage just goes full, just like <laughs> slicing him up, slices his face. Yeah, he slices his face. Chews on his neck. Bites into his neck like a vampire and rips his flesh off. He's so happy. Yeah, and yeah, and it's it's kind of church is just watching. Yeah, it's kind of cute. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a very scary scene. And so finally, Rachel gets a ride. Yeah, from some trucker yeah. slash the ghost. <laughs> right, but she yes, so she hears Zelda calling her. Oh, that's right. Which yeah. I guess we're assuming is the evil spirits, whether it's Gage or just whatever evil spirits came back. Yeah, I kind of think it's just Gage somehow, but. And so she goes into the house. And she follows the voices, and we see the attic stairs coming down. Yeah, there's this really uh, weird shot. Uh, and also, so I guess we kind of forgot this, but before she left, she had a dream when she was still at her parents' house. And I guess it was foreshadowing what happens. And she has a dream that she's, I guess, a kid again, and, and Zelda's basically, she goes to Zelda's room. There's also a shot there of the ladder, the attic stairs coming down. Mm-hmm. And Zelda's like, I'm going to get you. You let me die. Right. Blah, blah, blah. And then she runs with the camera and scares Kristen. <laughs> yes. Um, and so this mirrors that dream scene very closely to the point where you're thinking, well, was the dream scene set in this house? Are we now like in her old house? It's very confusing. Right. Uh, but there's also this weird shot for no apparent reason because no one's in the fucking attic. That you know, Zelda or Gage is in the room. Right. But I see the attic stairs coming down in front of her as she, and the camera kind of pans across it. And I guess maybe you're thinking something's coming down gonna jump out from the attic you're not really sure but so she opens the door and what does she see zelda zelda she's curled up in the corner it's very disturbing she's giggling and happy and like running at the running up to rachel and it's just it's very scary did you know she's played by a man yeah it's weird i wonder why i think they just couldn't find a woman creepy enough that's what it is i I think so i think i read that um because i I, I, write blumhouse (laughs) whatever that's terrible of being it. They, they, they didn't even look. They, they didn't, didn't even, look. even look. Yeah, they didn't even look. She repeatedly says, never get up again. You'll never get yeah. up again. And she's wearing the same blue velvet yeah. that Gage was buried in. And then so she can't believe it. She's falling. She's Then she opens her eyes and she sees her, her baby yeah. in the in the blue velvet that he was buried in with a, with a top hat. A top hat and a cane. Yeah. yeah. Which... yeah. Those details, I think, would give me pause. Denise Crosby completely sells it. You know, she doesn't even pretend to be bothered by any of this you know it's you kind of very much believe that she's so relieved to see her kid i would totally just let my kid kill me for one more hug so i feel that like so much yeah yeah there is that suggestion that she may even know that he's evil and she just kind of doesn't care yeah Yeah. i wouldn't care either yeah that'd be i mean that's fine so it cuts from that to uh lewis yeah uh, a great great cut where lewis again it's just like whoa whoa, whoa, (laughs) he falls out of the bed yeah lewis has vertigo or something because he's always you know falling and tipping over and and he sees cage's footprints yeah he's like yeah then he sees his you know victorian doctor bag open with all the bone saws (laughs) (laughs) missing uh so he knows he's like oh shit maybe this is bad like he's like oh what did i do and there's also this idea like he's it's like he's waking up from like a hangover or something right he's kind of the old lewis again you know more stoic seems not really crazy anymore i guess you know i guess he kind of got out of a system so he goes downstairs, gets a boring phone call from his dad, who's angry. We just thought about it. But then he gets a cool phone call from Gage, who says... Come play with me, Daddy. Yes. I, I played with Mommy. Yeah. I, play, I played with Mr. Judd or yeah. whatever. He goes in order. I played with Mr. Muster. <laughs> yeah, right. 
so come play with me. Yeah, and, and, and then the dad says, like, Judd, what did you, I mean, <laughs> Gage, what did you do? <laughs> yeah, it's very cool. Um, I think most people remember just that, that dialogue alone, if nothing else. You know, now I want to play with you. It's, it's very right. cool. And you can't really understand what he's you. saying. Yeah. He says it weird because he's, you know, two and he can't talk yeah. yet. Lewis gets a syringe of, you know, yeah, some... Yeah, whatever he keeps in his doctor bag. Yeah, what I, did they have back then I in the know. 17th century? I don't know. A cat killer. <laughs> right. Oh, so then he just, he sees Church outside and he's like, hey, Church. Yeah. And he gives him a steak. Why did Church have to die? I mean, he's not doing anything. It's sad. It's sad. It's very and sad. They, they, Church they, was doing nothing. Yeah. So he gave him a steak and he said, it's Thanksgiving Day for cats. And Church is like, first of all, Thanksgiving is over. <laughs> right. Second, and then he says, only cats that have come back from the dead. Yeah, so he's still a little crazy. He's yeah. still a little crazy. Then they really kill that cat. <laughs> yes, on film. Yeah, it's clear. There's no other way they could have filmed what it just happened. That looks like a dead cat. Yeah. I don't know how they did it. They, they yeah, he, that's a dead cat. Even if they sedated a cat, that seems wrong. Yeah, and he like slams it on the ground. Yeah, I mean, he picks it up and it's, anyway, <laughs> church is gone. And he goes into the house and there's all this weird imagery. Yes, So it's cool. like there's moss and all kinds of decay kind of snaps out of it when he picks up Rachel's shoe. Yeah, he touches Rachel's shoe and everything goes back to normal. So you kind of get the idea that the whatever the evil is, that's animated gauge is like in full effect and like doing all kinds of cool stuff. Yeah. So he goes up the stairs. Uh, he sees um, the stairs to this attic, but this time they're cut. Mm-hmm. So now we're going to talk about my kind of favorite pet theory, which you know maybe or may not be true, but I'm just going to assume it's true. <laughs> it's my Mad Woman the Attic Theory. So this movie, we acknowledge earlier, is directed by a female director, mm-hmm. and we acknowledge how unique that was, especially for 1989, if not today. I'm assuming because she hung out with Madonna and Janet Jackson, and she was an intelligent human being, that she injected her own sort of feelings, and oh, feminist might be the wrong word, but just, you know, humanistic ideas what about what it's like to be a woman, mm-hmm. and maybe, you know, a woman without agency. So there's this idea, and especially it's in horror fiction, or at least gothic fiction, uh, especially like from like 1900 and stuff about this mad woman in the attic this right. this woman that's been sort of uh, neutered and kind of cauterized and kind of shut aside because she's crazy and she's sort of unfiltered id and sort of usually the sort of this bad side of like maybe a, a, another character in the, in the piece well yeah um, that's exactly what you're describing is what I had thought of earlier is the short story which I think is from like 1892 I need to look up the person's name but it's called The Yellow Wallpaper and it is a really scary version of that. It's about a woman whose husband is a doctor, and he thinks that she's hysterical. And so he locks her up in the upstairs room and slowly locks her in, like, bars, locks the door, and she slowly goes crazy. And it's really, really scary. She starts seeing things in the wallpaper. She starts seeing herself outside of herself. It's really good. You should look it up. It's called The Yellow Wallpaper. Francis Conroy referenced it in Ooh. American Horror Story Murder House. Yeah, I think that, I think that definitely plays into it. And uh, I think I think the phrase actually comes from, well, there's a 1970-something uh, book called The Mad Woman in the Attic. Mm-hmm. And I think their, their primary example is uh, Jane Eyre, where there's a character who's literally a mad woman in the attic. Mm-hmm. There's a theory that she's actually like a manifestation of Jane Eyre's like doppelganger, or she's just a character that's a mad woman in the attic. It's unclear. Right. <laughs> Um, but so here, I'm not saying that, like, you know, Pet Cemetery is about <laughs> uh, that. I'm saying that, uh, in my mind, this director or other, other forces are just sort of tipping their hat to that idea. You have a, a female character that's just been dis- dispatched by kind of her Mad Woman the Attic character. 
right. Zelda, who's named, I think, after Zelda Fitzgerald, who's a character who's literally, if not, she's not kept in a literal attic, but she might as well be. They always show an attic near or near around her. Right. I don't know why, I, honestly, I don't know why they just didn't film her in an attic. I mean, much yeah, more, I know. Me, a... Much easier for my theory. <laughs> <laughs> so the attic stairs being cut at that point, so it kind of, you know, Rachel's dead now. Zelda's gone. It, it kind of suggests that, that, you know, they've sort of, I don't know, that's over. They've dealt with that. Um I'm not sure what the actual, you know, A to A to B metaphor is. I can't help but think that's not some sort of just crazy coincidence. Well, I think maybe I'm reaching too far, but I was thinking when he reaches down and picks up that shoe, it's like a Cinderella moment. Yeah. Cinderella was also locked in the attic. Does that have anything yeah, to do with? Absolutely. <laughs> You're just making me feel good. No. Yeah, and I guess you look at that, and you look at some of the weird offhand comments in the movie. The way Judd, for instance, treats you know uh, Denise Crosby, mm-hmm. Rachel, you know, like women, eh? You know, right. like there's that weird. And this is a, there's a woman that directed this film. She made these these characters look at each other that way. Right. I guess it could have been the script. I kind of doubt it. Right. It seems like a weird offhand moment. Uh, and then there's also this idea that, you know, Rachel is sort of the dominant force in the second half of the movie yeah. in terms of the one that's thinking the most clearly. She is. She's trying uh, to get home. She knows what she's doing. Yeah. She has a purpose. The man is a sort of off-kilter emotional wreck mm-hmm. um, who's, you know, and I'm not saying that's something, you know, that's usually what a female does is bury up her dead son. And, <laughs> but no, uh, but, you know, the, but yes, we but get it. For a movie. That's my Mad Woman the Attic theory. Well, and so then we get to the, the final confrontation. Yes. So we walk in, we see these broken metaphorical stairs. Mm-hmm. It makes no sense for it to be broken. Rachel falls from the attic. Yeah. Hanging on a noose, same as Missy. Yeah. Um, gauges at the top, left. Oh, same as Missy. I didn't really think about that. Because he's having a great time. He's having a blast. I mean. And then he dives down on and starts just getting some good licks he, in yeah, on Yeah, he really does a dive, too. He kind of goes like head first. Yes. I, I like They're the fact that they do. clearly took a my buddy, put a blind wig on him, and just right. threw him down there. <laughs> which is like, which also is another thing that makes it not as scary, or oh, not as hard to take thinking about a real child. So I wonder in the new movie. I don't know what they're going to do, honestly. I, I, I almost worry that they'll water it down somehow. But then again, movies are pretty scary these days. Yeah, that's true. So we'll see. But then, so they have their final fight. It's Lewis. a great fight. Yeah, it's, 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 you know, you can, my favorite thing about it in a way is that you can tell their limitations because they're, they're working with a two-year-old. Right. <laughs> so it's shot way around that fact. Right. And like, and there's weird, you know, abstract gestures like knives swapping this way, <laughs> pieces of Lewis's shirt being ribs, like <laughs> blood splatter. Well, even when they finally, he finally injects Gage. Obviously, the scene is filmed backwards. Yeah, yeah, but it makes it even creepier. Somehow. It is very yeah, creepy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I like. Um, You're talking about the scene where he walks kind of back and yes, falls, falls back against the wall. Yeah, which doesn't hits, hits his head. He, yeah, he right. knocks himself, but clearly he really stood up, walked towards the camera. Right. Um, that's what they do in Hollywood. Right. But then, so finally, we think, okay, everything. Everything's fine. Everything is. Back to normal. He can go back to Ellie. He can be there for his daughter. But yeah, no. and they never show Ellie again. Nope. Actually, yeah, she's anyway. But yeah, so I guess we should talk about what happens next. Well, so then he decides to take Rachel and bury her. And Pascal tries one last time. Like yeah. he hasn't done a fucking thing this whole time, but he's gonna try and stop stop them one more time. He's probably really frustrated by this point. He's just like, you know what? I'm done. But so he goes and buries Rachel, which again bothers me because again, Jesus, this is the third time I reference Lost. Is it? Yes. We'll leave so, a reference to yet. Uh, I'm about to, though. <laughs> but so, uh, so Jin and Son finally have a baby, right? They finally have a baby. A son is with the baby for a long time, but then she comes back to try to bring Jin home. You know, they had that scene where Jin gets stuck, and she could leave, 
But she stays with Jin and dies with him. Because she comes back. Yes. But there's no way that either Brian and I would ever die with the other one when we had a chance to get back to our children. Oh, I see. So, but in this case, I mean, Lewis, it's just, he's, he's fucked. I mean, he's going to get blamed for these murders, right? Yeah, but I think Elsa does a pretty good job of just being so completely bonkers crazy at this point. Maybe so over, you're right. Yeah. Maybe in the book it's more clear that he yeah. has completely lost it. Uh, oh, in his mind, he, in his mind, he might think, you know, I'm bringing my wife back. We're going to be together with Ellie. You know, he and again in the book and, and for the fifth fucking time, you know, I'm not going to talk about the book, but I do know that the book, the one of the scariest things about it, and again, this is something that's scarier as you get older because when you're a kid, you don't really register it, is how much sense. And how much you agree with what Lewis does. Because you're so in his head. The oh, way, the way right. Stephen King writes it, it's like, okay, yeah, I, I get that. You know, like, you're just kind of with that character. And you kind of go with him every step of the way. And, uh, yeah, you know, intellectually, these are bad choices. But it makes sense why he, you know, yes. does what he does. But so then he goes and buries Rachel. And then he goes back to wait. This time, the Rachel, you know, she gets lightning when she, when she, yeah, when she wakes that's up. Right. So because fierce, I guess. Yeah. And he's, that's right. Yeah. And he starts playing solitaire. He does not get very far. He gets about three cards in, and she comes back. I noticed also this time that he set an alarm. So, like, he knew. Like, she walks in, and an alarm goes off. Yeah, I never noticed that. That's interesting. So, I, I didn't know that there was a time. Yeah. Because it seems like he would have been ready for Gage. But... Yeah, I guess he's, you know, he's got it figured out now. Yeah. <laughs> he's got this. It's running like clockwork now. <laughs> but then she walks in, and she's... my is... crazy wife coming back. Right. She's that, that's pretty good special effects. That's pretty creepy. Yeah, she looks eye. great. She looks cool. And it's not just blood; it's like liquid. Yeah, yeah she looks face. much scarier than. Uh, I mean, Victor Pascal looks cool, but it doesn't look really scary. She looks scary and cool. To well, me. also Pascal keeps saying dumb shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She just says like you know uh, like darling or you yeah know, something like that, which I think is maybe what she says. Like it's like the last word in the book. Spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> And so she, they hug. They, did you I just know, spoil a 1983 book? Yes, I did. How dare you? So they make out. It is super disgusting. It's tongue. Kind of, yeah, it's kind of hot. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, he's got his vest on. I don't know. Just, uh, I think we should admit we just kind of like Del Midkiff. Yes. <laughs> so she kind of raises this knife, and it's kind of like a cool slow motion, like sort of. She doesn't really get like halfway to his neck, and then it goes to the cool Ramon song. He starts screaming. Yeah, yeah. And that's the part that ruins it. I mean, it doesn't ruin it, but it's like, I what I think happened was she directed it to where it's just the machete coming to her his neck, mm-hmm. and then some producer goes, "Well, you know, we need to scream. It's not really clear what's happening." Right. So that's that's the end of it. Um, and so my question was, so what happens to Rachel? She's still alive. She's still a zombie. Yeah, I suppose. Does she go on like a murder spree, or maybe she just walks out to the road, gets hit by a truck? <laughs> Well, I think, I mean, I, I guess what's creepy is she probably calls, because they can use a the phone. They know how to do that. So she, pro- she probably calls Ellie, and she, you know, tells her to come home. I want to play with you. Ellie's super excited. Ellie gets on a ticket. No! You don't think so? Oh, my gosh. That's that That's why it's so scary. Sad. It's scary. Well, no, I, I don't, that's not the written. I don't know. I know. <laughs> it's much darker in my ending, I guess. Well, then, so what happens to Ellie? <laughs> Ellie's fine. Ellie's fine, yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, it's not a happy ending. I guess, I guess the happy ending is that Ellie's just not there at all. Like, one kid gets to survive. Yeah, I'm sure she'll be fine. Yeah. Living with a terrible grandfather. Where's Pet Cemetery in the pantheon of horror movies in 89? Uh, I think it... I mean, it's, it's in a weird place, I suppose. I mean, it's not... I mean, I think even for that year, that decade, it's not a usual horror movie. I mean, I was looking up the top horror movies from that year, and they're all... Sequels to, you know, Friday 13 Part 8, 
which I think I talked about earlier. Yeah. <laughs> Halloween... no, I think you said five. That was the one. Oh, okay. Well, damn it. But Halloween Part 5. Halloween Part 4. Nightmare on Elm Street Part right. Part 4. That's what they all were. I mean, right. and it's, I mean, to me, don't I love that. Don't get me wrong. But you can see where, like, I mean, like Pet Cemetery was a little off-kilter. I mean, yeah, you had, like, um, Warlock. <laughs> you know, Hellraiser. There are, some good, there are some good horror movies. Right. But, I, I mean... The trend at that time, well, it was slasher movies and mm-hmm. sequel slasher movies. Pet Cemetery is weird. You know, even the movie, I guess, kind of like the book, you know, you could argue it's a little slow. It's more um, thematic and psychological and you know, these choices that you're sort of confronted with, you know, like, what would I do? That type of thing. Yeah. And uh, and obviously, you know, the, the deaths themselves are just horrific. <laughs> yes. And, you know, it's fairly well done. You know, it's definitely dated as we've you know made fun of a lot of it. There's Missy, who's... <laughs> Who stands out? You know, the first forty minutes or so are kind of rocky, but um, I think you know, I think it definitely holds up. I think we most people still pe- love it. Yes, we love it. I, th- I mean, I love it so much. But I think most people would at least admit it's kind of at least a classic of that time. So now it's time for our true crime portion of the podcast. Okay. And I, I can't imagine what could possibly be true about this, but go ahead. Okay. Well, this is something that I have always kind of thought about. Well, once I learned about this case, I immediately thought of Zelda. Ooh. Yes. We love Zelda. Yes. And so, of course, we remember that Zelda is Rachel's sister. Right. We have flashbacks of her. She had spinal meningitis, which we discussed. I'm not sure how that works. Well, she's the mad woman in the attic. Right. How this ties in is a case of a woman named... Blanche Monnier. So I got a lot of this information. I remember I've read things about her before, and then I got some information from uh, allthatisinteresting.com by an article named Gina DeMiro. She wrote a good article. Also on Ranker. There's a good, you know, Ranker is the best. Yeah, I like Ranker. Best time waster there is. <laughs> Blanche was born in 1849, and she was a French socialite from an uppity aristocrat family. In, in Maine. No. <laughs> In Poitiers, France. Doesn't that sound nice? Yeah. Like, if you're going to have to live in the 1800s, right. you want to be a socialite. A socialite. I can't imagine without... Well, no, I guess I can. So, I mean, I imagine socialites is more like just like influencers and... <laughs> I mean, you're rich. Yeah. You don't have to be downstairs making the pies or whatever they eat. Yeah. She's not Missy, is what we're saying. Yes. Right. She's Rachel. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, wait. She's Zelda. I'm so confused. But she she grew up to be a beautiful woman. There's pictures of her online. She's just she's gorgeous, just flawless skin. Like actual photos. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes, um, she was described by uh, neighbors as very gentle and good natured. But then in 1876, at the age of 25, she vanished. Vanished from where? From society? Yeah. Crazy. She vanished. And by the by the way, Poitiers is uh, is pretty close to Paris. So. Yeah. This is a pretty fancy upper class family. So when you say she vanished, you mean like the family's like we don't know where she is, or you mean like people just stopped seeing her? Her mother and her brother were the ones that she was living with, and they just they kind of told neighbors. They told some neighbors that she just moved away. Oh, okay. So they weren't like they weren't very clear. They 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 mourned her. What? Yeah, but they didn't say she died. So it's just it was very unclear. But you know they just kind of kept to themselves. Yeah. didn't press the issue. And then her mother and her brother just went on with their lives. And But then, in 1901, the Eternal General of Paris 
received an anonymous letter. What, t- attorney general? <laughs> I don't know. That's what they said. I guess it was an attorney general. Imagine Jeff Sessions. <laughs> Go ahead. So the letter read, this is in English. Yeah. I'm sure they wrote it in French, probably. Okay. You think? I, well, why am I looking? Oh, yeah. oh so uh, Monsieur Attorney General. <laughs> that doesn't sound right, does it? No. I have the honor to inform you of an exceptionally serious occurrence. I speak of a spinster who was locked up in Madame Monnier's house. Spinster? Mm-hmm. Half starved and living on a putrid litter for the past 25 years. In a word, in her own filth. That's the real letter. Yeah, and you can actually see pictures of that, too. Crazy. And he called her a spinster. Again, again, it's written in French, so who knows what it actually says, right? There's no way to know. (laughs) That's the lost language. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But the police did go and investigate, which was interesting. Like, I wonder, it seems like back then, especially them being socialites, they they wouldn't be able to just bust in. Absolutely, yeah. But they, they went in and investigated, and they found a door that was padlocked shut with aberrant, like, uh, is that the right word? Oh, I don't know what Abor- you're modifying. Ab- abhorrent? Oh, ab- well, what do you mean? Abhorrent or aberrant? There's two words. Oh, terrible. Abhorrent, yeah. Terrible smells. Abhorrent, okay, yeah. Coming from... They could be aberrant. Door. Aberrant would just mean they're unusual smells. Abhorrent would mean they're terrible smells. Both. Both be true, okay. Okay. Either way, you're right. All right. Um, so they knock the door down. In a socialite setting, yeah. be frowned upon. But I, I don't know where her dad was. I, I, I didn't find any information about that. Like where the man of the house was besides her brother. But but anyway, so they, they knocked the door down and they found a pitch black room. And so they had to open a curtain. And what they found was an emaciated woman chained to the bed. Oh, my God. This turned out to be Blanche. Right. She had not seen daylight in 25 years. So she's what, like 50? Yes. Okay. She was in her own filth, food scraps like rats, bugs. Ah. Oh. She weighed only 55 pounds. She couldn't speak and was, as Lewis said about Zelda. Probably clinically insane. Yes. Mansplaining. Right. So then this is a quote from one of the uh, policemen or someone who went into the room the first time. And he says, as soon as light entered the room, we noticed in the back, lying on a bed, her head and body covered by a repulsively filthy blanket, a woman identified as Mademoiselle Blanche Monnier. The unfortunate woman was lying completely naked on a rotten straw mattress. All around her was formed a sort of crust made from excrement, fragments of meat, vegetables, fish, and rotten bread. Fish? <laughs> That's more terrifying. Yeah. If you just left one fish in there, I know. Not enough. Yeah, just why even compounding it? <laughs> the air was so unbreathable, the odor given off by the room was so rank that it was impossible for us to stay any longer to proceed with our investigation. And also there's, I mean, she had um, apparently written all over the walls, like phrases about being freed. So like liberté, like liberté, liberté written up on the walls. Yeah. And so immediately her mother and her brother were arrested. Thank goodness. They didn't have some dad judge to get them out of it or anything. They were arrested because of everything that her mother went through. She died 15 days later of heart failure. She was the one who kept her locked up. Oh. The brother um, was complicit but didn't stop it. Okay. There's also servants that were there. And then later it came out that some neighbors did hear like sounds and screams coming and they thought maybe it was Blanche. But back then, like you said, it was just the woman, the crazy woman in the attic that, that they had the authority to lock up someone. So uh, what reason do they give for locking her up? If any? Oh, so the reason 
that her mother locked her up for 25 years was because she wanted to marry someone she did not approve of. Oh. It was a penniless lawyer who was older than her, who she fell in love with. And her mother gave her the ultimatum. She could either marry him or she'd lock her away in an attic. And Blanche, I mean, she seems like a pretty uh, tough chick. She was like, no, I'm going to marry him. And so she locked her up. And uh, even a year later, I think the, the man passed away. But still, her mom wouldn't let her out. One of the most evil people you could ever think of. Yeah, that is. Um, so, and these are all rich socialites. Yes. And Oh, and then her, her mother's last words were, oh, my poor Blanche, before she definitely went to hell. <laughs> I mean, Jesus Christ. And then also, um, and then her brother was only given 15 months because apparently back then there was no law about being complicit in the crime. But he seemed to, I, I read some places that he seemed to kind of lose his mind too. He didn't fare well from this whole thing too. There was mobs. This was a huge story in Paris. The brother had family too. And the family had to go and hide because people were so upset. Usually what happens, like when you see those in like movies and um, TV, you see the rich socialite fall in love with the penniless guy and they either run away together or there's usually some tragedy. Yeah, that didn't happen this time. I mean, it's still a tragedy. Oh, yeah. But it's just like this was real and all on that the poor woman. Um, she didn't even make it to like fuck him in a car <laughs> before the Titanic sank or anything, you know? Nope. But Blanche had essentially lost her mind. Even if you were to uh, endure two years of that, it'd be hard to come back from that. No, so. especially they're like throwing food at her and making, making it her own waste. I mean, yeah. that's disgusting. Why it's, would they even want that? I mean, that's the power that her mother needed or something. I don't even know how to describe that psychology of that. It's just in, in your own daughter, too. Well, I want to read all about that. Uh, so she was sent to a psychiatric ward, which in 1901, I'm sure it was just... You, this, you said 1901? 1901. Yeah. But she was still alive, so there's something. I mean, she lived for a, about 12 more Happily years. Happily ever after? <laughs> she died at the age of 63. Okay. And so she probably relearned... You really try to make... Well, she probably, you know, readjusted and, like, was talking. Uh -uh. And, no? Okay. No, I don't think she ever really readjusted. Oh, I see. She was put in a mental asylum in 1901. Yeah, at first. And then she, you know, they helped her <laughs> and then released her. Oh, God. Did she get married? <laughs> <laughs> so there are other, not to bring it down more, but there are other horrible cases. Um, <laughs> Tell me all about them. <laughs> other, girls, uh, other Zeldas, yeah. Girls. Well, and then, so it's not exact, like, but they did, I, the thing that stuck out was that Rachel in the movie referred to her sister as a dirty secret. It was something that they did keep yeah. separate. They kept um, pushed away, which is interesting when you see Rachel's parents later. I know. And they're I'm, just I'm like happy-go-lucky, just like... Yeah, and also and there's this other idea about, you know, the dad is strangely like a huge asshole for no apparent reason. So, like, maybe there's something to it. Like, maybe she wasn't even that fucking sick. That's what I was wondering. Yeah. Maybe like, there, there's something else. There's all these weird paintings, too, that suggest kind of uh, some sort of malevolent sort of whenever they show that house it just looks super evil you know like you know yeah. it doesn't look like a happy place there's no pictures of zelda on the wall no there's no pictures of zelda and um, i i, I would kind of accept her story at face value although she was admittedly a child yeah um i guess you would maybe remember the fact that she's a hunched over creature but maybe that's because they locked her up there maybe yeah. she was trying to get married to like a hot 16 year old kid or something i was thinking that too and she's a lot older it seems yeah than, so what happened justice for zelda but so some of the other, um, so of course, I'm sure you've heard of Elizabeth Frizzle. 
No. This all came to light. I love how you've seen it. I've heard of all these people. Well, this was huge. She, she was released in 2008. Oh, Joseph Frizzle. Does that sound familiar? No. Fritzel. Like when you say huge, where? Like on TV? Everywhere. Oh. Joseph so, Frizzle. Joseph Fritzel. Is it Fritzel? I don't I've never heard of him. Okay. Well, so <laughs> he kept his daughter Elizabeth held captive for 24 years. He, he repeatedly raped her. She gave birth to five of his children. What? Does this sound familiar? No. God, I already blocked it out. So it's it's basically, it's very similar to the movie Room. Yeah. But a hundred times worse. Because one, because it was her father. Two, because it was for 24 years and not for nine years or whatever. But it's very similar in that if you haven't seen Room, I don't know if you want to stop this. Oh, I, love, I love Room. I do too. But just in case you don't want to know what happened. I mean, you know they get out. You, you see that in the trailer, right? Do you? <laughs> well... <laughs> But it's Room kind of, is also it's several very, years old. You should have seen it by now. But it's very similar in that uh, with uh, the Frizzle case, one of the kids got sick and she convinced her dad to take him to the hospital, oh. take the daughter to the hospital. And things started to unravel from there. And then luckily they figured it out. And in 2008, I guess that's kind of, that it sounds kind of familiar. Out. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. But then and there's also another um, case of Susan Wiley, who was known as Jeannie. Her parents kept her locked up. She was discovered in 1970. And I don't know if it's just like this power trip they have i mean i just can't imagine well it could be they're under severe psychosis as well like this mother in the blanche story maybe she thought she was actually helping i kind of doubt it she sounds like a horrible bitch yeah. well what's creepy is like you know right now you know maybe somewhere in this neighborhood there's someone being chained in a, i know maybe you know so maybe stephen king uh read about that and i always I, I, possibly I, inspired. I never saw anything about that i've never read where he got any of that from um, Let, let's cheers to blanche blanche and zelda and Zelda and Rachel and Mary Lambert and and Missy. Missy, yes, justice for One Missy. One more. <laughs> All right. Well, so that concludes our first episode. It does. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Next time, do we want to talk about what we're doing next time, or we haven't really figured it out yet? Well, we'll I mean, we know what we're recording next. I guess we could say that. No, we'll let them know. Oh, It'll be oh, surprised. Ooh, okay. That was. But late. we we want you to reach out to us. We want you to see if you can think of a movie that I can't tie a true crime to. Oh, she can. <laughs> Um, I've seen her notes. <laughs> <laughs> tell us your stories of your first horror movie experience or the first thing that scared you. Or just terrible things that happened to you. <laughs> yeah. Anything you want to tell us. Tell You're... Chris what the fuck the Toilet Monster movie is. <laughs> if you can think of it. Yeah, we have, we don't have access to Google or anything. <laughs> I, gonna, I, imagine, I think if you Google Toilet Monster, it's probably not going to show up. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh. Um, or whatever else, what are the other bullshit she was talking about earlier? But so where you can find us is on Twitter at sometimes dead four, on Instagram at, at sometimes dead podcast, or email us at sometimes dead podcast dot oh wait, no, sometimes dead podcast at gmail dot com. Or just uh, Chris's address is <laughs> <laughs> I am pretty lonely. <laughs> But please reach out to us. Yeah, if, if nothing else, let us know uh, what you thought of the podcast and what we can do differently or if we're just perfect. That'd be good, too. Yeah. And we're also open to suggestion a tiny bit. Yeah, not, not really. Calm down. Yeah. I mean, All right. yeah, this is our fucking podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye. Good night. <laughs>